Hey, I'm doing a quick analysis of the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict and trial. Um, I watched the trial pretty much through its entirety on court TV. Um, my analysis of the verdict rendered is the same as it was uh, in the initial analysis when I just watched the video and heard some of the uh, news media. I was able to decipher the falsehoods uh, from the media, and I felt that that was a strong case of self-defense. And my analysis after the entire trial, hearing the testimony during the trial and seeing the evidence remains the same. This was a very, very solid case of self-defense. We had three incidences of use of uh, deadly force by Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, three people that were affected by his use of deadly force. Two were fatal. One was a non-fatal use of deadly force. And just summarizing it in a briefly, my, the reasons behind my analysis as it applies to the Wisconsin state laws. And there we had three cases. Uh, one where um, Anthony Huber was attempting to strike Kyle Rittenhouse in the head with a skateboard. A skateboard was a deadly threat in this instance. Kyle Rittenhouse was in, within striking distance of Huber. When Huber struck him in the first time, he hit him in the neck. Then he was attempting to strike him in the head with the skateboard. Uh, skateboard is a deadly weapon, folks. I'm sorry, but it's a just as dangerous as a baseball bat, a crowbar, tire iron, or anything else when you're struck in the head with it. There's steel wheels on that skateboard. It's a big chunk of wood or fiberglass. I'm not sure uh, which what the case was with the skateboard, but it's the same result. It's a blunt object, which would will inflict much trauma. And when it's struck at the head or the neck, it's deadly. Our brain, spinal column, all of that, right? That goes without saying. Um, removing all the politics aside out of this, he's striking him in the head. Kyle Rittenhouse had to fire a shot. Um, fortunately, it was fatal, but it was justified because that was a deadly threat, and he was within striking distance skateboard, having already hit him in the head once. Then you have great Gage Groskowitz, who's charging at Kyle Rittenhouse. He's three to four feet away, and he begins to draw a Glock um, 27 pistol, which was loaded and around was chambered. He's drawing that leveling the muzzle towards Kyle Rittenhouse's head. This is a valid, imminent danger to Kyle Rittenhouse. Valid, imminent threat of great bodily harm or death. A firearm. Muzzles pointed right at him. Gage Grosquitz does hold the uh, firearm while he's pointing the muzzle at Rittenhouse's head in a shooting grip. And his fingers on the trigger. Okay, that is definitely putting Kyle Rittenhouse's life in imminent jeopardy. No question about it. Kyle Rittenhouse fears for his life, fires a shot. The shot impacts Grossquitz in the arm and the shooting arm, 
When people are under a deadly threat, they tend to have tunnel vision and focus on what is a deadly threat to them. Kyle Rittenhouse has tunnel vision and focuses on that weapon, and that causes his aim to go toward close to that weapon. He shoots gross squits in the arm. But that one shot is neutralizes the threat, gross squits then is dropping the weapon and no longer uh, having a firing grip and line of fire at Kyle Rittenhouse after that first shot. That shot neutralized the deadly threat and Kyle Rittenhouse no longer further implemented any further deadly force, which was the proper way this justification for dev force should work. Um, the people were trying to make him out as a killer vigilante and all of that. They was on a mission to kill that night and, and all that. Well, that proves that theory wrong because that shot was sufficient to neutralize a deadly threat and put his life in imminent danger, and he stopped. That one shot was enough. And he didn't continue if he was on a deadly uh terroristic, uh, military, white supremacist agenda like some of the leftists tried to make him out to be, he would have continued shooting at Girl Squits to finish him off. He did not. He only fired a sufficient amount necessary uh, minimally to bring the threat to, to neutralization. Perfect self-defense. Then you had Rosenbaum. The next one, Rosenbaum grabs, he charges Kyle Rittenhouse, he grabs the barrel of the AR-15, he's attempting to strip that AR-15 away from Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse, again, is in fear of his life. He said the strap felt like it was about to give away. Rosenbaum, who's bigger than him and more aggressive, is attempting to strip the weapon away. Kyle Rittenhouse has to fire four shots before he feels that the weapon is no longer being stripped away from him. And Rosenbaum releases that grip on his weapon. Folks, the ADA in this case, Bittner, tried to present this situation as Kyle Rittenhouse using deadly force only against the threat of property being taken away from him. He Basically saying the rifle's only property. Rosenbaum is only a threat of the property of taking the rifle away. This is not the case. The rifle is not mere property. It has a deadly force capability. And if Rosenbaum was successful in stripping that weapon away, Kyle Rittenhouse has to look at that as... Once that r rifle is taken away from him and it is in the control and possession of Rosenbaum, it will be used against him as a deadly threat. And now he's lost his ability to defend his life against that deadly threat because he loses the rifle and it's under the control of Rosenbaum. We are trained as police officers my whole career um, in, their, in tactics and police um, knowledge, we are trained that if someone takes strips your gun away from you, you will it will be used against you. This is based on tactics that the FBI 
um, has kept track of in deadly force encounters many, many years. And the FBI has shown that in over 90% of cases where a person is stripped of their firearm, that firearm will be used against them. This is 90% of the cases in years and years of compilation of these um, statistics by the FBI. Kyle's aware of this, and of course it makes common sense and stands the reason that someone's trying to strip your firearm away from you, that that aggression, they are going to use it against you, not merely just stealing it and trying to get control of the weapon to steal it away from you so that they have a stolen weapon. No, in that attack where they're stripping it, they will use that firearm against you. So in that case, in my eyes, it's true. The DA was completely wrong in trying to throw a narrative at the jury that, hey, Kyle Rittenhouse was there strictly to just defend property, the Source One auto dealership in Kenosha, and because that was all just property, the cars on the lot, the business, the building and all that, that he would not have the privilege of using deadly self-defense because he's just merely there to defend property. Yeah, he was there to defend property initially, and he could not use the firearm in just defending the cars and the vehicles on there. But when someone began attacking him in the process of defending that property and being there as a deterrent and trying to prevent the place from any further fires and damage and all that, and someone now becomes a threat to life, to his life or others' lives, then that use of that AR-15 or deadly force does no longer apply um, because that is no, no longer about property anymore just as it wasn't about property when Rosenbaum is trying to strip the rifle away from him, it now becomes a matter of life or death. And at that point where these guys personally attack him now, it's not about the Source 1 auto dealership anymore. It's about Kyle Rittenhouse's life. His life was in imminent jeopardy or imminent danger. Therefore, he now has the privilege of self-defense to defend his life as a jury found and as I and many many other people saw this was a self-defense issue. The last point during the trial and all of that which I think leads part of the prosecutorial misconduct that was being um, conducted here by ADA Bittner in Kenosha County which is amazing because you think an ADA would just be have the interest of wanting to get to the truth, um, to facts only, let the jury make a determined decision based on facts and not be misled, all that. The ADA Bittner tried to bring in that Kyle Rittenhouse provoked the situation at the end when he was getting desperate Losing the case, he's becoming very desperate and unhinged, in my opinion. The provocation issue did not come up in the opening statements at all and throughout the trial. As Bittner started seeing that he's losing and the defense was crushing the prosecution's theories in this trial, 
they became desperate and started to reach out to, hey, let's throw in this provocation that Kyle Rittenhouse provoked um, the need, these people into attacking him because in our stat- statutes in Wisconsin for deadly defense, self-defense to be justified, the actor could not have provoked it. You know, otherwise, he loses privilege. Um, there was no cases in, in evidence in here at all that Kyle Rittenhouse provoked the situation. It was all falsehood to try to attempt to get Kyle Rittenhouse to lose his privilege of legal, deadly self-defense. If he would have provoked it, yes, that would have been the case. None of the evidence or testimony showed that he provoked any of this. And the the, uh, prosecution, during the end of the trial, when they realized they were losing, tried to um, stretch things out into that Kyle Rittenhouse, provoked it by having the AR-15 on him, him being armed with it and trying to say that he pointed at somebody and provoked all of this. That is just not the case. And to try to portray Kyle Rittenhouse as an active shooter, and these guys were just trying to stop an active shooter, that's all false, too. He he was not an active shooter. The shots were not, the first shots were not fired, and deadly force were not utilized by Kyle Rittenhouse until the point where his life was in imminent jeopardy. That's the only time shots were fired, and then he pointed the AR-15 um, at anybody and all that. And by this time, it was um, too late. He had no, it was a last resort. And in fact, he tried to run from these attacks initially. He tried to run. Unfortunately, he fell when somebody threw an object at a set of uh, brick or a rock or something like that. They threw it at his head which prevented him from being able to run any further because they had dazed his consciousness and he fell. And then these guys are on top of him and the attacks that I previously described are beginning to occur to him. And then he was forced into defending his life with the deadly force. So looking back, um, all the evidence, the trial, the evidence presented in the testimony, my initial opinion has not changed at all. I think that the jury got this right. It was righteous self-defense. All the other arguments that he provoked it, that he wasn't shouldn't have been there, no one should have been there. Um, there was a curfew, a lawful curfew was issued, and not only Kyle Rittenhouse shouldn't have been there, but all the actors involved in this that he had to use self-defense against shouldn't have been there either because there was a curfew, but that does not negate your right to self-defense just because you shouldn't be in a place in there, like my park curfew example earlier and all that. He still retains his right to self-defense, and he initially um, was remaining on the private property. He had the right to be there on private property, um, yes, he did leave the private property when he was attempting to put, extinguish a fire in a dumpster when the crowd started a dumpster on fire and they started wheeling it towards a gas station to try to get the gas station to blow up. 
and he intervened and extinguished the fire, um, and which may have saved many other lives and all that, that were um, when this whole riot was getting out of hand and all that. But yeah, that was the, um, my final analysis did not differ from my initial analysis after seeing the entire trial. And even though I believe the ADA tried to present and twist some things around in an effort to try to find Kyle Rittenhouse guilty and take his justification away from using righteous um, deadly force, uh, it still did not, the jury was able to see through all that with the help of the defense attorney and come to the proper conclusion that this was a justified deadly force and uh, Kyle Rittenhouse was found not guilty on all the charges. Totally righteous self-defense, um, and I'm glad that the jury did not buy into any of the politics of this, uh, the rhetoric, and some of the false presentations of a um, prosecution that was attempting to bend the facts and um, all of that. So uh, that was my um, final analysis. I totally agree with the final outcome, I and mean, I think it was the proper one. At my police experience as a um, three decades of law enforcement training and experience in there, um, my years of a firearms instructor teaching security um, since 1997, teaching concealed carry people since 19 uh, or since 2011, since it became a law in Wisconsin and all that, and using all of that legal experience, law enforcement experience and training um, and all that, this was the proper decision. And there, and Kyle Rittenhouse was given a fair trial. People try to say that Kyle, Ritt, the judge, was biased for Kyle Rittenhouse in the defense because he chewed out the prosecutor in some instances, and he was ruling out some things that the prosecution was trying to bring in as evidence at trial. No, it was fair because also the defense was not allowed. The defense was not allowed to bring in the fact that Rosenbaum was suicidal. He was released from a mental hospital earlier in the day. They wanted to bring that in there. They were denied. The judge ruled, uh, Bruce Schrader ruled that, hey, this cannot be admitted into the trial because it could lead to some bias against um, the prosecution's argument. And a prosecutor was not allowed to um, call the people that were subjected to the deadly force by Kyle Rittenhouse as quote-unquote victims either. You know, he could not refer to them as victims because that would bias the jury into feeling that these guys were should not have been shot at. And deadly force was not justified against them because they were victims of it. That was not proper either. They may have been perpetrators. So he said we cannot use either one of those terms that they were victims or perpetrators and all that. Just refer to them by their names 
or subjects that's more of a neutral um, terminology in there. And I, that, that was fair, and I felt righteous in the um, end results of the trial t- to seek fair and um, balanced justice. So there you have it as um, my analysis prior to the trial and after the trial remains the same in their, um, your views as coming from a police officer and a firearms trainer in there that this was a good, solid case. Thanks for listening. I welcome your continued comments and on there. I've been getting comments on both sides of the spectrum on this. Feel free to email me at bscott8766 at att.net if you have any other uh, comments or issues or you disagree with me or agree. I welcome them both. Um, and um, if there's any other things that you would like me to cover from the view of a police officer in this matter, uh, feel free to throw them out there. I will address more of your the uh, subject matters that you would like to see in regards to concealed care. I do not want to get in any politics of this. I'm sticking strictly to informational only and educational purposes in these cases um, and all that. So I appreciate your feedback, comments, suggestions, and anything else that you would like me to address and my reasons behind it. I'll give you the basis legally um, for or against these um opinions for me as a concealed carry instructor and a police officer. Thanks and have a great day. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.